everybody. Welcome to uh, Infused Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Super glad to have you. Um, we're starting a new series this week um, for the next four weeks called Guardrails. Guardrails. Boy, I should get to saying it correctly. Um, Guardrails. And um, the current plan, just to kind of give you some plan ahead uh, scheduling notifications, week four, that's the last Sunday in June, is a great Sunday for your kids to be in kids ministry, okay? Because we are going to have an adult conversation together. And so if they haven't checked out Infused Kids, that is a great Sunday to do that. Otherwise, you will have some unique questions for the drive home, which that's up to you, okay? Um, so anyways, welcome to the series and uh, super glad to be kicking this off. It's very exciting um, because uh, we're going to be talking about some very tantalizing, dynamic topics, one of which including guardrails, to which you may say to yourself, Taylor, why are we spending like four weeks talking about a fixture on a road as we drive along? We'll get there. And the other thing um, that kind of leads into why we're talking about guardrails is because we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about something that I know you are all very excited to talk about. Um, you just can't wait. And that is temptation. I know. Some of you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, I hope Pastor Taylor talks about temptation today. That sounds like a great message. And some of you were tempted not to come to church today, and some of you were successful, and so you never showed up. But maybe you'll watch this later online, and uh, that's going to be really awkward because I just called you out on your temptation. Um, so be here next week. Okay, guardrails. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, and, and temptation together, all right? So uh, one thing I do want to say, like, before we get into this too much is, uh, you know, there's a lot of churchy words sometimes in our vocabulary, especially if you grew up church or you grew up around church or you kind of have a stereotype of Christianity in your mind. Um, and the word temptation is kind of generally, not always, but generally associated with some form of religion or, or Christianity uh, in general. And that comes with baggage, it comes with some stereotypes along with that, and I want to kind of like parse that out for a second. So like as you think about temptation, um, you know, don't think about it quite as with all the baggage that kind of comes with it. You know, we use temptation in our daily lives, right? But usually we'll use the word, have you ever noticed this? We only use the word tempted. I was tempted to do this. I was tempted to tell her what I thought. I was tempted to give him a piece of my mind. I didn't, but I was tempted, you know? But then when we talk temptation and you add the shun on, then it becomes a whole like religious thing and a lot of baggage with it. So kind of try to parse that out because it, 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 I think um, sometimes that then uh, we tend not to then hear the other things that I'm about to say today because we bring all of that baggage with. Uh, and now I understand some of your concerns though because some of you may be thinking, well, it's not really temptation that's the issue, Taylor. It's the thing that temptation leads to, right? Because in Christian tradition, um, a temptation is something that leads to a, anybody? Sin, yeah, fantastic, we got the good Christians over here. Yeah, uh, temptation, yeah, woo -woo. Um, temptation leads to sin. Temptation is something that is drawing you into something that's bad, and, and sin has its own baggage. And I just want to clarify, I always try to do this because of the baggage that comes with the word sin as well, um, that sin is um, when you do not love God, do not love your neighbor or do not love yourself as God intended you to do so in a life-giving, loving way. That is effectively sin. It's when you miss the mark, if that's the bullseye, loving God, your neighbor, and yourself, you miss that bullseye when you act, when you speak, when you think, your intentions, then you are sinful. 
Um, and sinful is not necessarily a good thing. Whether you're Christian or not, I think we can probably all agree that that concept of not loving others as we should, not loving ourselves as we should, isn't good. It tends to lead to bad things. So when we talk about you know, going through life, or if we're going to use the analogy and start talking about guardrails here, driving through life, we hit seasons of life or moments in life where we are tempted. We are tempted to do something that is not loving God, loving each other, or loving ourselves, whether you're Christian or not. And generally, we do not like the result. We may like the result in the short term, but we really don't like the result more than likely in the long term. It tends to lead to things like regrets, ethical dilemmas. It tends to you saying things, thinking things, doing things, desiring things, acting on things that are not okay, that tend to lead to regret. And so regardless of where you are in your faith journey, as we get into this conversation, I just want you to be aware of, hey, these are things that are real and the realities in our life, whether you are Christian or not. And I think we can all agree at the end of the day, they're bad and we want to avoid them, which is what we're going to talk about today. And one of the solutions that we're going to talk about today and this analogy that we're going to kind of carry through the next four weeks is the idea of a guardrail or in other terms, you could call it a boundary. Okay, and I think these guardrails are a simple solution, and the reason that they are a simple solution or an analogy that works really well is because what a guardrail does. And a guardrail, you may have not thought about this, but you kind of know instinctively what a guardrail is supposed to do. It is a system, I brought a definition just in case, I told you this was going to get very exciting, uh, I brought you a definition. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. That's their intent. They're a boundary. They're a limit on where you should and shouldn't drive. You tend to, in driving, put guardrails where there is a place that danger or risk is increased to keep you safe. That in the event that you make a mistake, you fall short, you do something wrong, that you hit the guardrail and things don't go worse. So you're going to put them on places like what? Bridges? Because that just makes sense, right? You're going to put them on medians sometimes. Like if you drive Interstate 80 here in Iowa, there's going to be guardrails. They're just wires, but they're still a guardrail to prevent traffic from crossing over the median and hitting you head on. Or vice versa, you crossing over traffic and hitting someone else head on. Or they'll often be in curves or high places on the rare chance that anyone in here or watching online would ever text and drive. And the rare chance that you do find yourself texting and driving, I know you're only ever on your maps or something really critical in life important. Um, But in the event that you would text and drive and not be paying attention to the curve, it would keep you from flying off the curve, right? Essentially, the point of the guardrail is to direct and protect, to direct and protect. You're supposed to go this way. This is the best direction for you to go to get where you're going and prevent you from having anything bad happen. The other thing about guardrails that I think makes this a really good analogy for our lives and for having good boundaries or good limits in our lives is because we put guardrails in the safety zone. You ever thought about that? It would be really silly to put a guardrail halfway down the cliff. You put the guardrail on the road to keep you on the road. It's to prevent danger from even beginning. Because without them, you could drive closer to the edge of the cliff, to the edge of the bridge, but then the risk is severely uh, uh, elevated, right? So 
the idea being that we are going to keep you in the safe zone, not risking a wheel coming off of the road, for example. So you place it in the safety zone. The other thing um, that a guardrail does is it minimizes damage. So you may make a mistake, you may uh, mess up, you may go the wrong direction for a brief moment in time, but it's going to prevent a worst case scenario from occurring. And that's a good guardrail, that you're going to have some damage, it's not going to be ideal, but it's going to prevent something far worse. And in week three on Father's Day, which you need to be here for Father's Day because we're going to have popcorn from the Iowa Popcorn Company. Um, All the dads get popcorn, maybe some other people. Maybe they'll share with you all, um, so you should be here. But I'm going to talk about a story uh, where I hit a guardrail, um, and I am very grateful that guardrail was here because it could have been way worse. So guardrails are something that I think we can all agree, at least in driving, is really good. Now, the hard thing about when you start to think of guardrails in your own life is that, um, well, let's just put it this way. Our Western culture, our American culture, which is not necessarily bad, it just is, is not a huge fan of guardrails. They're not a huge fan. Uh, Culture is not necessarily, I'm not trying to culture bash here, I'm just making a statement, um, is not uh, very keen on people setting boundaries or having limits in their life. We are very pro-freedom, ability to make your own decisions, and anything short of that is fairly un-American, okay? We prefer in America white lines that we can cross if we so choose than hard lines like a guardrail. If we want to drive on the white line on the edge of the road, then as Americans, my gosh, we should have the freedom to do that. That's kind of our approach. And so then we come up with, like, guidelines. We don't have hard stops. We don't have hard guardrails. We just have kind of guidelines. So we say things like, please drink responsibly. Okay, well, I get the idea. I get the heart behind it. But the problem is, do we all agree on what's responsible? Uh Uh-uh. Not even close sometimes, right? And so what may be responsible drinking to one person could mean something wildly different for someone else. And thus we have a problem, right? Or uh, in education and uh, when you're growing up and, you know, you start having those uh, uh, conversations uh, about the birds and the bees, right? And we're going to talk about that more in week four, as I told you. Uh, but what, what if, you know, there's uh, ideas on how you approach the topic of sex with your kids. And, and so one uh, version of it is like, you know, Make sure you're really ready before you have sex. Which, my friends, if you tell that to a teenage boy, their answer is, I was born ready. Okay? That doesn't mean it's responsible, doesn't mean it's good, but for some reason we say, okay, well, you know, here's the guideline in probably an area of our life where. Guidelines aren't probably strong enough. Or maybe sometimes in big decisions or big dilemmas that people have, uh, often in the last maybe five, ten years, we have this phrase that's, that's thrown out, and it's something to the effect of, like, be true to yourself or be real to yourself or something like that. And, and, it's, and I, I always hear that, and I scratch my head thinking to myself, but yourself was there for all your biggest regrets. Like, you have been a part of the biggest issues in your life. Because it's you. 
So to be true to yourself means that you also have to bring all of that bad baggage along with you. But we don't ever think about that part, do we? If you want to be true to yourself, you'd get guardrails. Because you know you fall short of even your own expectations. We talked about that a while ago. So with all that said, I want you to imagine driving on this road, okay? And this sometimes is the road of life, okay? It's an interesting picture. This is actually in Colorado. You can go drive on this road. And down there is a nice, I would say stream, but it looks like it's at least like level four rapids, okay? This is sometimes, let's be fair, how we go through life. We may not choose it, but we may find ourselves in situations like this. You know, there's no GPS that's going to pop up and say, hey, just heads up, you're going to be driving on a very treacherous road that has no guardrails. But sometimes in life, we find ourselves in a situation where we're looking off the edge of the cliff and we're like, am I safe? Now, just a little poll here, and if you're online, jump in the chat and answer this question. Today, you get to raise your hands. Um, I want you to answer this question. All right, so the first one is, um, well, there's two options, really. I'll give you the two options. Option one is when you drive a road like this, you're the type of person that is freaked out. Like white-knuckle gripping or you have to have somebody else drive, okay? And number two option is this is really cool. And you want to go on this road, okay? And you would be trying to balance the tension between staying on the road and looking down. This is an adventure to you, okay? Now, some of you may try to split the both of them, but you're going to have to make a decision how many of you are in each one or the other camp, okay? Online, you can jump in the chat, and then if you're in the room, we're going to raise hand, okay? So how many of you are freaked out by driving a road like this? Fantastic. Overwhelming, looks like majority, okay? Now, how many of you look at this and are like, yee-haw? Okay, fantastic. All right, so it's about 70, 30, maybe that's generous, 75 to 25%, something like that, okay, of my fear and yeehaw folks. All right, yes. So um, <laughs> no matter how you responded to this question, the reality is you are going to fixate on one of those two things as you drive this road, right? You're either going to fixate, for 75% of you, you're going to fixate on the fear of it, and the other 25% of you are going to fixate on the desire of it. This is an adventure. This is cool. This is beautiful. I like being here. I enjoy this moment. You are going to fixate on it. And you do this in life too. When you are tempted in life by things, you are going to do one of two things. You are either going to exist in a state of fear of what's going to happen in the situation and how to respond or you're going to respond into that temptation with desire. I like this. I want to move forward with this. If you fixate on desire, things like fixating on desire as you go through life are, I want him. I want her. You fixate on lust. Other desires. Um, I deserve that. I want it. I need more of it. Greed. Pride. I am right. I am better. They are wrong. They are less than. You desire to let everybody know how good you are and how less they are. Other desires are you are tempted 
to abandon your commitments and your responsibilities. And that is a real temptation. Your desire is to walk away and avoid and just move on, and you struggle to follow through. For some of you, you fixate on fear. And that is a temptation too. You don't think of it maybe so much as always a temptation, but it is. You fear losing money. And so it uh, drives you to respond and treat people in a way that makes money a priority over people. You value your material things, and therefore you treat people accordingly, and you live accordingly so that you value your material things. Fear leads to anger. You're afraid people are going to find out. You're afraid of the truth. You're afraid of what somebody's going to do to you, and so you respond with anger, which, as Jesus says, leads to hate. If you want to know about the implications of fear and how that's a temptation, just look at modern-day politics in America today. It is full of fear-mongering, which then leads to hateful words directed at the other side or the other group. And eventually, it leads to, not even eventually, in very short order, oftentimes it leads to somebody feeling or being hurt, somebody personally being hurt, and certainly God's love being compromised. Fear is very capable, just as desire is, at ultimately leading to sin as we defined it earlier. So what are we going to do? How do you handle that reality as you drive through life and you're tempted to either fear or fixate on fear or fixate on a desire or something that you want? So this is where Paul steps in. Paul, Jesus follower, I introduce him every time because he's so important. I think it's good to get to know him. Um, He met Jesus, changed his entire life back in the first century. Um, And he uh, is dealing with some people in a church having some of these temptation issues. They're driving through life, either white knuckle in it, or they're staring down and like, oh, this is so great. I'm on the edge of glory. Okay, Um, that's a song. Edge of glory. Fixating, they're fixated on something. So he wants to address it. And it's in the church um, of, um, of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And um, he wants to offer a solution to them. And it's not necessarily a solution that you're going to like, that I'm going to like, or they probably liked. But it is a solution. And it's a, honestly, it's kind of a good solution. And it has to do with the value and importance, or it actually is a, a guardrail in a way. Especially if you're Christian. If you're not Christian, you can take it or leave it. But if you're Christian, this is like a really good guardrail, okay? And here's how he sets this up. He says, here's the problem, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. He says, first thing off, we got to agree on the problem. The problem is you were in darkness or you are in darkness, okay? Now, he's talking to people who should be Christian, but we're just going to open it up and say, for you were once in darkness or maybe you are in darkness, okay? Where do... Think about it. Where do temptations live? Where do fixations live for you? I have not met many people that go around screaming at the top of their lungs and telling everybody about all of their temptations. Have you? This is where temptation lives. And what's so silly about this and why Paul's bringing it up is in the next, if we go back to the driving picture, the scary cliff picture, okay? This is a dangerous road in the daytime. How safe is this to drive at night without guardrails? Most people, I think, would say that's, that's pretty dumb, okay? 
that there is a really good chance that if you drive this at night, you're going to get yourself hurt, you're going to get others hurt, or worse. And that sounds a lot like sin, doesn't it? Leads, which sin leads to death. And there is a chance that that could happen on this road. Yet, what do we do? We drive roads like this at night in the darkness, in areas of our life, without guardrails. Why? Because we like driving these roads. We like upping the ante and doing it at night. Because as followers of Christ, at least, our perception, our Christian perspective, is that we are sinners. We are broken. Or as Paul talked about sin, he talked about it as a disease. It's like a sickness that you have. And we are so prideful that we think we can do it, right? That's what you tell yourself. Like, I can get so close to the line of sin, or I can cross over that line a little bit, but I'll be fine because I'm ultimately in control. And we tell ourselves that, right? But the problem is, for some of you, you've been driving a road like this, a dangerous road. You've been falling off the cliff enough in whatever temptation you have in your life, and you've been doing that for months, you've been doing that for years even, right? And you keep telling yourself, you'll get it figured out. You can handle it, even though your track record says you can't handle it. Now, what a lot of people take away from that, and if you grew up in a church that really hit the uh, fire brimstone, sin, repent, um, you know, key really hard, um, what's missed in that is that even in your brokenness, you are still loved and valued by God. Completely and entirely. You are so valuable to God, so worthy to God, that he is willing to die for you. That is the state of his heart and how deep his love for you and I go. So yes, you are broken, but you are also loved. Because let's be honest, if you have ever been around a child that's sick, or you're a parent or have had the honor of taking care of a sick child, which is a joy, um, or an ill child, what is a loving parent want to do to a sick child? They want to help them get better. Yeah. Eat good food. Drink lots of fluid. My, God's desire is to help us, help you, help me get better. We like the darkness because then, for some reason, we believe that we don't have to then face the truth of our decisions, the truths of our temptations even though we suffer the consequences of them. You ever notice that as a kid? When you grew up, at least for me, I was afraid of the dark. So when I went downstairs to get a water in the middle of the night, I would run back up the stairs to my room because who knows what could be in the dark. And then some point in my life, I grew up and I started liking the dark. Because especially through college, it allowed for behaviors that were questionable to not be seen. And as adults, we start to use darkness as a bit of a shield and a cloud over our decisions and our behaviors. Isn't that interesting? We look at darkness as a companion, as a friend, to hide what we'd not really like other people to know. But it's not really a friend. It's an illusion. And God wants to help you break that down.
And so Paul steps in here and he says, for you were once in darkness, where temptation lives, where fixation lives, and he wants to offer a solution. He said, you are, you were once in darkness, but you are now our light in the Lord. You are not in sin or brokenness anymore. You are in the Lord. So then you need to live like it. Okay? You are now a part of, Paul talks about, being adopted into the family of Christ. Okay? God has wanted you, wants you to be in his family and accepts you and loves you and forgives you and wants life for you in his family. So live, therefore, do you not know, to live, therefore, as if that is your life. Live as a child of light or children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, of righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases who? Pleases not you, but the Lord. So bring it out of the darkness, bring it to light, and ask yourself, in this situation, would me driving down this tempting road be pleasing to the Lord? And you, I'm going to go on a limb here and suggest that even if you're not a Christian, that you probably know there's a part of your heart, there's a part of your life, a little stirring in your spirit that says, yeah, that wouldn't be very God-honoring. That wouldn't be something that you'd want your heavenly father to know that you did. And it's probably something that may bring you short-term validation or a short-term hit of dopamine. But is it something that is going to serve you, serve God, and serve others well in the long term? Probably not. Therefore, you need to be wise and careful. If you read the whole rest of the verse, or chapter of Ephesians 5, which you should do when you go home, um, read Ephesians chapter 5 or pull it up online um, and read it. And he talks about being wise and careful for you. Now, the temptation is for you to go home and look at all the problems and darkness in other people's life because it's always easier to do that, right? But this is not about you. Because if you want to sit there and criticize others, then you just need to call yourself what you're being, and that is a backseat driver. And not many people like backseat drivers. Or now, as Stephanie and I have a little joke, because we went to Tim Hawkins, the comedian, and he had this funny joke about his wife. And when they were driving and she was being a backseat driver, he'd just turn to him and be like, he would turn to her and say, thank you, little helper. And so now as Stephanie and I drive, and one of us makes a mistake, and somebody says something, I just say, thanks, Steph. You're just such a great little helper. Nobody likes a backseat driver, right? So why not take a step back and say, hey, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to judge. And be wise if you're going to bring an issue to light in someone else's life. But this is mainly about you. Okay? And then he goes on. And this is such a powerful guardrail. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them to what, Paul? But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a, or becomes at light. Or I think it's a light, actually, but becomes a light. So expose the darkness to light. If you struggle with something, fear or desire, a temptation, who knows that? Who else knows that? You know that. Who else knows it? 
Like, have you ever physically said it to someone else? Like, hey, I struggle with blank. I am tempted by blank. A guardrail, this is why I love this analogy, a guardrail is a physical barrier. And sometimes, even for emotional and spiritual problems, we need physical barriers or a physical response to that problem. And sometimes, physically telling someone, physically saying out loud to God, I have a sin problem, I have a temptation problem, can be a very freeing experience. Saying out loud, hey, trusted friend. Money is a dangerous road for me. Hey, trusted friend. Gambling is a dangerous road for me. Hey, trusted friend. Being on the internet is a dangerous road for me because of what I click on, because what I type, because of what I look at, because of the relationships I get myself involved in. It is a dangerous road for me. Hey, trusted friend, me working as hard as I am working, 80 hours a week, is not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for my marriage. It's not good for my dating life. It's not good for my kids. Hey, friend, drinking is a dangerous road for me. Hey, friend, me being alone with another woman or another man is a dangerous thing for me because I am tempted either through fear of being alone, fear of not being validated, or lust or desire for something bad to happen. For me to just go off that cliff and start careening down into the, preface, um, into the water below. Now, our culture will not celebrate that. Again, not culture bashing, it's just a reality. They will not celebrate, the world will not generally celebrate you being honest about your dangerous roads. They'll generally kind of look down on you for doing that. But here's the other catch. The rest of the world will also criticize you and call you names if you go off the road, right? They'll call you drunk. They'll call you homewrecker. They'll call you problem problem causer, right? They will call you names too. So you're not really going to win in the world. But what you can do now is avoid that pain, avoid the regret by setting up guardrails today, not later, today. Because it's never too late. Some of you say, well, I'm already down in the water and I'm drowning. Okay, now's a great time to get a guardrail and some help so that when you get back up onto the road, because you can get back up on the road, that's what God's good at. God is so good at redeeming and restoring us. That's his thing. Okay? He has spent millennia perfecting redemption. So when you get back on that road, you're not going to fall off. When you get back on the road, you know where the line is and where the safety is. So when you get back on this scary road, you know I'm not going to drive it in the dark. I'm going to drive it in the light. I'm going to tell somebody I do not feel safe driving it and letting somebody else take over. Letting somebody else drive. Or honestly, taking a different path altogether. That word, again, depending on your church tradition you grew up in, that you should name sin for what it is and repent and be baptized, right? 
That word repent means a new path, a new direction, a new road. So effectively, when you hear that, and it's not yelled at you, it's this. Hey, you're not loving yourself as you should. You need to choose a new road, and that new road needs to be following Jesus. Because you may, in following Jesus, find yourself on a road like this, but again, for Christians or for Jesus followers, you're with Jesus on this road. And that is a whole lot better place to be. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a step back and give light, number one, give light to your dangerous roads. You need to shine a light on it. One of the easiest ways to do that, scratch that, one of the most difficult but helpful ways to do that is to give light to others on the dangerous roads in your life. What are the dangerous roads in your life? And give light to someone you can trust, you can rely on, who's there to help you, not hurt you. Give light. Give light to God. Sometimes just even saying it out loud, God, I confess that this is a temptation, this is a dark road for me, and I, am, I have fallen down it many times, and I need to do different, helps. And can go a long way. But for some of those darkest roads, you need a physical barrier to stop you from going down those roads. That's why in a lot of 12-step programs, you have a sponsor. Why? Because you need the physical barrier to help you navigate it. Give light to your dangerous roads. This is kind of actually step one of like most 12-step programs again, right? What is it? I admit that I have a problem and I cannot control it. Giving light to a dangerous road. Number two install guardrails. Who are you telling? How are those physical barriers being created? Have you named them? Have you written them down? This is not a good path. I have a greed problem. Write down, here's how much money it will take for me to be happy. That's a guardrail. And when you have that and you're not happy, you have a bigger problem and you need to come face to face with that problem. That problem is greed. That's a heart issue. But God can help you through it. Christ can help you can help you through it. Guardrails protect you. This is why you need them in your life. Guardrails protect you from your fears and direct you away from your desires. That's what they do. And you need them and you need to name them. The other thing you could do, and I suggest that you do it because I think you'll find greater peace and freedom in it, is to replace this word with another word, a name, and that is Jesus. Not because Jesus is the answer to everything, but sometimes he kind of is. And in this case, this is what Jesus is also very good at. You just read the Gospels over and over and over again and see how often he speaks to fears and people's desires and calls them out in truth and light. That's the thing that really upset the religious people about Jesus is he called out their desires for what they were. And they looked at it as a burden. He brought their problems to light. And what do things in the darkness not like? Being in the light. And so they said, you're hurting us. And he said, no, I'm not hurting you. I'm freeing you with truth and love and light. And they couldn't see it, but I want and I hope you can to see in the light what is dark inside of you and in so doing, be free from it and direct you in a new direction away from the brokenness. To ask yourself the question, Lord, what pleases you? Not what pleases me, what pleases you? 
if it doesn't please God, then it probably won't please you in the long term. Short term, maybe, but that's where we get confused. We get lost because it's, oh, but it feels so good in the short term. I like that shopping therapy. I like that food therapy. I like that companionship therapy. Short term for long term regret. Does my choices, does my behavior honor God, honor myself, and honor others? If you have a problem, think about it this way. If you have a problem in your life and you don't know how to solve it, what do you do? Okay, you Google it. That's a good step. But then you ask, you ask for help, yes. Or as it was said in the Christian circle over here, you ask you ask your parents, right? You ask for help. You ask a wise person for help. And what do you do in that situation? You have exposed the problem to others. Should you feel ashamed that you created a problem or that you have a problem? You don't need to. Hey, I broke this. I'm sorry. And what happens when you do that? It takes the weight of the problem partially off your shoulders and it helps others to bear that with you to work the solution with you so why don't we do it when it comes to our temptations and the dangerous roads we're on why not ask for help because God wants you to have freedom we want you at infused church to have freedom all of us to take those problems to expose them for what they are and you say but it'll hurt it may hurt because that's what happens when you take things out of the darkness that live in the darkness and you bring it to light. But that doesn't mean at the end of the day there won't be freedom and peace that passes all understanding when you do so. And the thing that will help prevent you from going down those tracks in the future, the thing that will help you get back on the road or a new road and stay there in the future are those guardrails. So think about the ones this week that you have in your life, if any, what are the ones you want to have in your life? And think about those two things. What dangerous roads do I need to bring to light? And how do I create a guardrail around them? Some next steps for you as we wrap up, okay? I want you um, to uh, either after service, talk to me or talk to Ryan. Ryan's going to be up here. I'm going to be in the back. You don't even have to say what you got going on in your life. Just say, hey, Taylor, I could use some help taking a next step when it comes to these, the, uh, an area of my life or a dangerous road in my life. We can talk all about it here on Sundays, or we can talk about it after the fact. You can also send emails. Send us an email. Send me an email, taylorinfuse.church. And we would love to help because you are tired of crashing. I am tired of seeing you crash. Your family is tired of seeing you crash. You don't want to crash. I don't want you to crash. So let's stop it. Let's put a guardrail up. And there's people here to help you install that guardrail. And second, in prayer... I would recommend crying out to God and say, God, I have fallen off. I have crashed. I confess, that, I confess that I am in sin in this area of my life because I'm not loving myself. I'm not loving my neighbor. I'm not loving you as I should. And I want to live a life of love, God's love, that leads to life, not death. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Those are powerful guardrails you can put in your life that you know will lead to something better than where we currently are. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, 
this is a tough subject. Anytime we talk about the things that are in our dark hearts and the parts we've tried to bury and the parts we've tried to explain away, ignore away, justify away, it's hard to bring those to light. It's hard to think of that light as a guardrail to prevent, to direct and perfect, protect us. But Lord, help us, whether they're small, little paths that we're on, they're not that consequential, but they're still dangerous. Or areas of our life that are much bigger, are bigger roads. Areas of our life where we have other people in the car with us and we are driving a dangerous road. Lord, help us to confess. Confess not that we are unworthy. Confess not that we are unloved because we are loved by you. We are worth so much to you. We are valued by you enough to come to earth and die for our brokenness. It's not an issue of worth. It's an issue of light and darkness. It's an issue of life and death. And Lord, if we follow you, Lord, help us to follow light. Help us to be honest with where we are, what we struggle with, and bring that to light with you and if we need to with others so that we can live a life of peace and forgiveness and mercy and self-control and patience, the fruit of a life lived with you. Lord, help today be the day where people take steps, steps, not really about the size of the step forward. It's about that we take a step. Take a step to put guardrails where we know we are on a dangerous road. To be honest about the dangerous road we're on with others. And if we've fallen off the cliff, to establish those guardrails and name them for what they are and find help with where those problems are. Lord, give us the strength and the peace and the people that we need in our life, the church that we need in our life to process through those, to work through those, and ultimately to follow you to experience and be filled with your love. Not filled with darkness, but filled with your love and your light so that we can live this life as you intended, you created it to be. Lord, today, help us to do that. Help us to see guardrails not as a prevention or containing us or keeping us from something we want, but something to help us, to direct us and to protect us. Because that's what you do as a loving Father in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.